here we go again. Another episode of Something for the People. It's your world famous host, Be Smooth. And today, my illustrious guest, man, worldwide known but locally accepted, <laughs> future doctor, leader of the community, Mr. Raheem Elmore. Raheem, how you doing? What's good? What's good? I'm doing all right. How you doing today? I'm doing I'm good. I'm doing good. Good. All right. So, you know, we always just get to the business. Where were you born? Uh, where I was born. So I was born in Columbus, Ohio. Um, in 1991. Uh, I was born at OSU East Hospital, too. Fun fact. Where's the hospital at? I don't know Columbus like that. <laughs> okay, okay. So OSU East is like, um, it's like in a near community uh, that's near East High School. It's like not too, too far from downtown, but it's not necessarily uh, OSU North, which is like the OSU Medical Center on campus. Um, so OSU East is kind of like a, a little annex version of mm -hmm. their hospital that they have there. We got a ton of hospitals, but it's only like two OSUs, OSU North and OSU East. So I was born at OSU East. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, um, tell me, what was it like growing up in Columbus? So, growing up in Columbus, it was um, it was, it was interesting. So I would say, like, the, my family. Um, well, I grew up with my mom and my sister, um, but I'm also close with like my greater family. So, like, my all of my grandma's uh, sisters and brothers' kids, and so we got a really big unit. So, um, I would say, like, growing up, real family oriented. Um, then as far as like just like the neighborhoods we lived in, we always kind of stayed in uh, neighborhoods that was like more in the inner city. Um, and so growing up wasn't always easy. You feel me? There's times where you feel me, little stuff happened. I had to scrap or got my bike stolen. Had to go retrieve it. You know what I mean? <laughs> little stuff like that. You know. But all in all, like I kind of like kept my head in the books for the most part, or like in sports and try to stay out the way. To where it's like some of my other family members, they was like getting into other stuff. Like as far as like gang violence or just been in the streets in other ways and that was kind of like the path that was set so I tried to take a different path and you know when I took it a lot of people in the family supported me because they knew it was something different so it was cool. Tell, tell me about like what's the first like neighborhood you remember living in? The first neighborhood I remember, uh, remember living in and if somebody asked me where I, what neighborhood I was from in Columbus it would be the same neighborhood and it's, uh, it's called Agla Green. Okay. Mm, Agla Green is a neighborhood on the north side of Columbus, northeast side Northeast community is connected to this uh, neighborhood of houses called Somerset, but Agua Green was a neighborhood full of apartments. Mm -hmm. So um, I wouldn't necessarily say a housing project, because housing projects come in different forms too. So it was like, uh, but it was like one of those uh, apartment complexes where like everybody knew each other and it was kind of spread out. Yeah. And then like, you know, we had a courtyard and like okay. people, we kicked it in the courtyard. And like, I grew up there from like the time like I was born to like the time like I was like seven or eight, so like most of the people who like was really like my friends, like early on and stuff like that. Um, really, probably till I was nine. I think about it because I remember moving to a different neighborhood when I was nine. Um, this um, on the street called Allegheny, but um, yeah, Agla Green. That's where it all started. Uh, I used to uh, spend a lot of time with my cousin Mike Hogan out there, um, and with Hogan, um, Hogan ended up getting murdered when I was like thirteen. So that was something that was really influential uh, to my life. But growing up, I was with him so much. He's my big cousin. People used to think it was my dad because we were surrounding each other so much. So I kind of grew up with like the older cats, like you know, what I'm saying when I was little. But I still hung out with kids too, of course. But you know. He was like, oh, that's, that's little Raheem, man. Come with us. I remember you, uh, you told me that you, you went to like a, like an Afrocentric school. Like, 
Like, when, when was that, like, K through, like, 12, or how yeah. did that work? Yeah, so I went to Columbus Central School. Um, back in the day, it was called Columbus Central School. Now it's called Columbus Central Early College. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, I went there at K through 12. Um, I came the year after it was accepted. So um, I was there the second year all the way through. So I was a part of the second group of people who could have been, like, lifers to graduate yeah. all the way through. Um, we kept adding on as we as the school went, so it started off as a K through six, and then they built on the middle school six to eight, and then they built on the high school uh, kind of by, I think their first high school graduating class was in two thousand and five. Okay. Yeah. So. But what what was it like, like, cause you know in Chicago we got like we got like K through eight, or you can go K through six, then seven eight, then go high school, or go to K through six, then go to high school seven through twelve. So what was it like K through twelve? And then that's the curriculum, like Afrocentric people hear that they were like, "Oh man, we, we raising a bunch of militants. What's going yeah. on?" Here? Yeah. So I would say it's the various advantages that for from the K to twelve format. So one of the advantages is the people that I grew up with. Like, and the friends that I uh, cured, like in kindergarten, a lot of them are still my friends. Even not necessarily, but just kindergarten through the way. So, I got friends from kindergarten, but I got friends from third grade, from fifth grade, and they just been my friends all the way on, like, into adulthood. So, having those long-term bonds, those people know you. So, ain't no hiding from them, ain't no... Um, they know, oh, you don't know my life because they do know your life. Even though everybody can know, never know nothing about anyone, um, having people who really knew you since you were a child and growing into, with you to adulthood is like an advantage in the sense you have genuine friendships. So that's something I definitely could say that was an advantage on the social side, on the developmental side as far as education went. I learned a lot of foundational things that um, some people feel like, oh, I, I learned this when I got to college or I learned this. Like, I learned it in elementary school. So, like, I read the autobiography of Michael Max in fifth grade. So, like, uh, that's, that's, that's <laughs> yeah, like, you know what I mean? So stuff like that and i was just super interested my mom also was a big part of my upbringing because she was super into tupac so like the the uh, militantness and also introspectiveness of tupac kind of seeped into my everyday life and my mindset and that translated to school and um you know growing up it wasn't always easy because we still had, we still had a public school format so it wasn't like there was no other learning but the focus was inherently on black blackness black people and then some of the rituals that we had were um also important like for example uh, we used to have this thing called morning ceremony every day uh we would sing the black national anthem we had a school song called uh, the after school song it was written by one of the teachers who taught sixth grade. Oh, this is like some lean on me. Like y'all was in the bathroom. Oh, live though. One of the teachers from the sixth grade and then his colleague from the fifth grade, bro, they wrote the song, bro, and they used to play it on piano. One played it on piano and one sung it, and we all would sing it every morning. Um, then we had like mantras, like uh, we used to read this poem called I Am a Genius. I am a genius. My ancestors were geniuses. My ancestors have made me a genius. So all that I think, say, and do, I must declare myself a genius. I am a genius. I say, you feel me? So I'm able. So it's done. Like, see, it's like you know, you get that from an early age. Like, yeah, your self-esteem is through the roof. Yeah, you know. So uh, t tell me about. Uh, like you just mentioned your mom. Like, was a big Tupac fan. Like, were you like a big Tupac fan? Because I remember, you know, when Tupac died, I was like. I was 10, I think. I was, yeah, I was 10 years old. And I went to the barbershop. My barber was like, hey, your boy Tupac got popped. I'm like, you got to say it like that, man. So <laughs> like, I was, I did, like, Tupac, like, kind of influence or, like, what was that, like? Man, for real, Tupac was one of the biggest influences on my life. I see Tupac in the same light as, like, 
I see other African American social political leaders. Mm -hmm. The way that he got his message out was just different than, and it's not recognized in the same way as maybe like Malcolm X or Dr. King or Huey Newton or um, even people like Langston Hughes who did it through like uh, literature and writing in that format. Um, he's not regarded in that same way, but he is in my in my mind it's in my influence because he was somebody who not only taught me about duality, about you don't have to be one way, you can still uplift your people and still be from a certain community and still hold the values of each together. You can still be in the arts and still do all these different things. So it's just like about the fullness of humanness. You know, and a lot of times people want to section off the different aspects of who you are as a human. And Tupac really showed me that you don't have to section off those different parts. You know what I'm saying? It's all you. You know what I'm saying? So uh, a lot of the different philosophies, a lot of the different ideologies that he had, I really took with me. Like, I really grew up in thug life, bro. I ain't going <laughs> to lie to you. Like, I'm about it, too. And I still live it out. You know, and a lot of times people think about the different aspects of hip-hop culture and some of these different words like n-i-g-g-a never ignorant getting goals accomplished you know what i'm saying thug like the hate you get blue inference to everybody you know what i'm saying like uh, it's you, deeper you, you, you him, man. oh okay <laughs> i ain't know you feel me like yeah <laughs> <laughs> i ain't know you know i'm being politically social politically correct you know what i mean that's cool that's cool that's cool too but yeah but all of that though you know what i'm saying like all of you grow up in that mindset along with like i said the afrocentric mindset the familiar mindset you know we ain't even call our teachers mr and mrs we call them mama and baba you know oh, so that's, like that's different mm -hmm, all around our school it said uh take the village to raise a family we just had that all around you feel me and it did like you know the little posters that you have in the school takes a village to raise a family so, so we treated how, how like were families like like integrated into the school because i know like like a lot of like the stereotypes is you know black parents say they're not coming to you you have a parent a parent's not it'd be like three parents there and it'd be like 300 people in the school so like how, how would they integrate into because this is like, like this is very unique like yeah. for school. Exactly. And that's why it was different because it's a public school still. So, like, you still got kids who come there and their parents ain't going to come to nothing. Mm -hmm. But then you also got kids whose parents are super heavily involved and it's like they're a teacher at the school because they're there so much. You know what I mean? It was people like that. And then you also have, uh, like, I know my family, well, it kind of started with me and my sister. Our whole family, not whole family, a great amount of our family is too. Mm -hmm. It started to leak in over the years, you know what I mean? So where it started with me and my sister, then it was me and my cousin, my cousin Juice, my cousin Mike, my cousin Minnie, and then it's my cousin Rashid going there, my cousin Maya, you feel me? And then different people just started to trickle into the school. So like, to where our whole, we all got the same parents, you know what I'm saying? So we, all our parents there too, so to where it became familiar, like, like familiar stems there too so like where pe like different stems of different parts of your family there so where your mom might not be the person that catch you doing something my uncle my little cousin Rashid my uncle Kenyatta might end up coming in there and I'm like oh dang like he Rashid ain't used to always go here so Kenyatta didn't used to always have the ability to just pop up but you know as you get those more people flowing in there that's kind of how it happened so I would say it was a good mix it was like those still public school kids who had the difficulties of their parents coming then it was like people who just had one parent there but they were super involved and then it was people who had like a community of a family coming up there so it was, it was like that too okay yeah uh, you speak more about like about your relationship like with your cousin your sister because I grew up like you know my sister like we we didn't actually get real close until I like, became adults because you know she stayed with like her mom you know I stayed with my mom my dad was uh getting married like 50 billion times or whatever he was doing <laughs> so like that's why i'm like that's why i'm used to like i can do stuff alone because you know i was basically i have a sibling but i was raised like only child so i was like your relationship like with your sibling that seems like you were real close to your cousin i'm somewhat close to my cousin yeah so 
So I'm definitely super close to my sister. Um, we grew up in the same household. And I, I guess early on when we was kids, like, we was cool, but I didn't understand how close we was. Like, we was always cool, but I still was doing my own thing with my friends, and she had her friends or whatever. But as we grew up, I started to recognize how close we was. And then also, like, as we became adults, we had certain shared experiences, like, you know, dealing with our family or going off to college because we was two of the first people in our our family to like pursue um, like four year degrees and like um, so like my aunt ended up because my aunt went to school she kind of dropped out and went back to school and she ended up becoming the first person in our family to get a four year degree but she's seven years older than me and she graduated two years before me so so she when she go back she ended up so I've become the second person in our family first male in our family to graduate from college my sister come after us and we kind of set a tone for a lot of different people in our family to like graduate we uh, my sister was the first person to get her master's I was the second you feel me and now we're in a PhD program together so we got like a lot of we ain't in the same program she go to University of Louisville but we like you know, like we kind of got like these bonds, you know what I'm saying, on different levels. So we're real close. And then with my cousins, so I got like a lot of girl cousins, you know what I'm saying, that's around my age. So I didn't, all my big cousins that's, that's men, they older, you know. So like I grew up with them and I got kind of that game from them. Like um, even my cousin Hogan, he was older, older. So then I got my cousin Juice, he like three years older than me. My cousin Ozzy, he was like a... Uh, my my cousin Ozzy, six years older than me, he won got me started in like rapping in the arts. And he ended up uh unfortunately he ended up getting murdered when he was thirty, so just a few years ago in two thousand fifteen. So I, I experienced a lot of loss. So like even with my cousins, because my cousins is like my brothers. So like when things occur in, in those realms it's like I lost a brother. So um even though we don't like I only got one first cousin. You know how people go by their first cousins, there's grandma kids. I only got one of them. So, like, I, if I had that mindset, then I really wouldn't be close to my cousins because I don't got those type of connections. I got the connections. We got the same great-grandma, but we, yeah. we treat it like we got the same mom, you know, like, yeah. 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 I, I Billy well yeah. so like 
I always we would ride past site and we would ride ride past his grave site and I would like always show my respects and like know that my cousin like passed away there but it wasn't the same connection as Hogan like I grew up like knowing Hogan and like loving Hogan every time I was seeing you getting so much bigger you feel me and if you see me now it would be crazy to him because like now I'm bigger than he ever was like as a human like so it's like funny but he never got to see that you know what I mean he only get to see me grow to be 13 so like that was a tough one but it kind of was crazy because after that it was kind of like a trickle down effect to where I just lost more and more so two years after Hogan I lost my cousin Terry and then you know after that it was another loss and another like and so on and so forth to where I like at this point like I really lost like, I don't even I can't think of a man in my family that has grown into old age you know what I'm trying to say like, I don't know one like the oldest um like, you know, like, you know, like, maybe it's like, is that a curse or something? You start, like, thinking about, like, things like that? Man, I, it's, it's, in a way, it keep me alert. It's scary when you think about it, like, damn, like, who gonna be able to be old and die of natural causes? Because yeah, nobody like, has it. Like, who's gonna be, like, who's gonna be the, like, the, the male family griot? Yeah. Family history. Yeah, I'm hoping it'll be me, man, because uh, I will hope to live for a long time. But for me, it's just like, it's, it's, um, part of it is, um, consequences of the community that we live in and um now nah, that's a big part of it so and then some of the lifestyles that some of us lead so i'm hoping that if i live even though i'm still subject to some of that um exposure because i still stay in the community <laughs> and i'm a black male um i feel like some of the lifestyle choices that i've made i hope that they would like be able to not shield me because nothing will shield me from that type of danger but I, hopefully they will help me to uh, not be in those spaces as much to evade some of the dangers that some of my cousins experienced because like you know most of them they was in the streets or you know so it's nothing I'm not saying that like it's right or wrong you know it's a lifestyle thing and then also it's just like vicinity things so like you know, even one of my little cousins, you know, if the, like one of the most recent deaths in my family, my little cousin, he got murdered over sneakers when he was 16 years old, you feel me, at the day in mall. And then it's crazy because then you come in, I was teaching, so I come into school and it's like a, to a, a topic that the students is talking about, but that's really my little cousin. Or like I hear it on the breakfast club talking about it, or like it became national news, like him getting murdered over these Jordans, like, you know, like. It just was, it's like, I'll, let me to backtrack. It was something that kind of, Hogan's death was like, it started. I guess me being able to weather that storm because when he died I cried so much that it was like not that they had no more tears cause I cried at all of them but it became more and more like I know what this is as opposed to like damn the world going in because I lost my cousin you feel me that's what Hogan felt like and then as I went forward my cousin Terry my cousin JJ my cousin Ozzy you feel me my Nana and different people in my family my brand like it just was like this is, it became like politics as usual, sad to say, like, I had so much loss this I was is, experiencing. This is, this is how life goes. Yeah. Yeah. It exists. It exists. Literally. So, can you just talk about, like, like not not your family in general, but just the circumstances when you talk about, like, neighborhood and community things. Like, what 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 causes that type of environment? What do you think? Um, Especially in, in Columbus, just speaking of Columbus and, you know, the Dayton area specifically, because I can only talk about, like, yeah. You know, Chicago and, like, surrounding areas. Yeah. And I'm heavy familiar with Cincinnati, too. Not necessarily Cleveland as much, but I spent a lot of time in Cincy. Um, as, a as a child, my aunt, my uh, my other aunt, she went to University of Cincinnati in 99, but she ended up dropping out, like, her second year. Like, she was getting into some wildness. But, like, uh, so I spent a lot of time growing up in Cincinnati as a kid in the summers. 
Then, of course, I'm from Columbus, and then I, as a grown man, I spent time in Dayton. So it was like those three communities, I saw similarities in, like, the the, stat, the status or the state of, like, many black people. In Columbus, it's a little bit more of a breathing room for affluence. You get little people, not little people, you get some people like Mayor Michael Coleman or, like, um, like well, Lex Western, not black, but, like, you know, people, you see little glimpses of affluence or people, like, I, when I was in going to Ohio State, I met a girl, her mom was a, a, a doctor and her dad was a lawyer, and she was black, like, and they had a pool in their backyard, and they lived by the zoo, and, like, I had never seen nothing like that, so, like, <laughs> literally, bro, I'm telling you, bro, so, like, getting exposed to those different type of scenes, I know that they out there, but, like, where I, like, with the scenes I grew up in, it was, like, more so, like, inner city life, you feel me? Like either you stand out the way, or you, or you a part of the party. You know what I mean? And a lot of people that I knew, they wanted to like be a part of the scene. You know, because it was like, even like going on the path I am now. Like people respect that path, but people don't necessarily understand it from a communal standpoint mm -hmm. in totality. So like it's like, you know, people get wrapped up into that game and those lifestyles early. So I talked a little bit about my, about my family, but I've lost friends too. Like I got a friend named Javon who got murdered like before we even got out of high school. <coughs> Or, like, my friend Berto, with my recent, like, friend who I, like, that was my best friend for 20 years. We met in kindergarten, and he died when we was 25, so it's just, like, stuff like that, you know what I mean? It's just, like, the, people become candidates because of that street life that they, that they somewhat participate in, but it's not even always them. Because sometimes, like, my cousin Hogan, he was a part of street life, but crazy enough, he died trying to help somebody. And, and, and when it was all said and done, you know, he lived a certain lifestyle, but, you know, when it was all said and done, he when he met his maker, it was for trying to help somebody, and he got got himself in the wrong place at the wrong time. Or like my cousin Terry, he had just got, he used to, well, he was a bit crippling when he was younger, feel me, he had just got out of jail, you feel me, and then when he got, he was helping somebody move, like move their home, and he just was in a certain neighborhood where they knew of him, they knew who he was, and they just started just, you're adjacent to it, but you you may not be of that and that of that certain time, but mm -hmm. you're adjacent to it, so Mm -hmm. like a, a casualty, I guess. Exactly, a casualty of war. And it's like even people like me who tried it and tested this out the way, it's episodes where you get wrapped in either by other people or even by just your own it's close vicinity. You <laughs> yeah, by your own close vicinity. Like I didn't got into a whole episode with a dude uh, when I was about 16 by, by where I look. And I was in this one neighborhood, you feel me, off Joyce. It's called, it's on the north side, it's called Joyce. Um, that's the name, Joyce and Hudson is like what they call neighborhood by the side street, Joyce and Hudson. Okay. And we were just in this little, uh, my cousins, they was older than me, my cousin Joyce and my cousin Stigman. And I used to go over there after school and just rap with them, talk to them sometimes. And basically, I had a whip and they didn't have no car and they all oh, take us to the liquor store. I take them to the liquor store, but it's like a grocery store too. So yeah. I just get a juice and I'm standing at the front, you know what I mean? And dude thought, thought I looked like somebody. And you posted. Yeah, I was just posted, you feel me? And he came at my neck, but my cousins was in the back of the liquor store, so it was ugly when they came up, you know what I mean? Because they, like, they tried to explain to him, like, my little cousin, a kid, like, he in school, like, he, but it, it, he didn't really get that because sometimes when people get to going on what they think is this, then situations get crazy. And that that type of episode is episode to where, you know, our lives was in danger that day because we was in his neighborhood. You know, he just started off with somebody else, and it led to circumstances unforeseen that we couldn't even control, you know what I mean? So. It always remind me of like you, you ever watch The Wire? Mm -hmm. Like that scene with some Charles was like, you know, man, you know, even it's on a lot, you know, we fight on that lot, and that's like mm -hmm. the whole kind of like street mentality. Yeah. Even if you don't, even if it's like you misunderstood, you already amped up, so you got to finish what you started. Literally, <laughs> literally, bro, and that's how it be going. So it be a number of things, and then it's like vicinities with the police. I, me personally, I had a lot of episodes with the police. Um, out of 
knowing what's right, knowing what the law is, and then trying to speak up. But then as you get older, you realize, like, in it now that I'm older and so much things have happened because I used to do it a lot more when I was a little bit younger, like 20, 21. And, like, Trayvon and all that was still going on at that time. But now that it's just so easy that people are getting murdered, and it's always been a thing in our community. But I guess it was a certain point in time where I, I thought my free, I was a freedom fighter headass, and I thought, like, you feel me, that I was going to be able to just speak up in certain moments where... I, Lord, Lord willing, I was able to get out of those moments, but some of those interactions could have led to me being a, just another name. And, like, those those type of things happen, the way they interact with our community. It's kind of like a compound type of issue that leads people into these situations and these deaths, and it's crazy. Yeah. All right, so let's, go, let's get maybe on a more positive subject. Uh, let's talk about, like, like, I always ask, you know, black men about, like, maturity and like going puberty and going from like being a teenager. So what was that like? Cause when I think of like becoming a teacher, I think of going to high school, but you was practically already in high school cause it was all the same thing. So what was that like? Like not, cause I think of like transitioning to high school, but you already in basically your school already. So what was that like? Cause y'all are, y'all are still together, right? And there's nobody like coming into the high school. Nah, there's still people coming in every year, every, every year. So new people come in every year. So those people like, for example, one of our close friends, he started in ninth grade. You feel me? We got friends okay. that started in twelfth grade. Like you know what I mean? Like, but just, just the minds just be different. They be feeling like, and a lot of our friends who become our friends over time, they be like, yeah, at first, bro, we ain't know we was gonna be able to get with the crew, bro, cause y'all already had been friends since third grade. Like, like nah, bro, it's all love, bro. We just like, yeah, so. Uh, there was new people coming in, so yeah, we still had those that new people effect. So was like the high school like separated from like the middle school, or y'all all like all uh, like interspersed? They kept it separate because oh. of our age difference. We uh we didn't we weren't afforded the luxury of having different buildings. Each floor of our school, we had a three. Uh, it was a pretty big school to begin with, but oh. uh, we had a yeah. So we had a uh, existing like we used an existing public school building from the school called Mohawk. And basically what they did is they they just basically, and like I said, started with sixth grade, so got to move. They was using all three floors for just elementary and middle school first, but then they had to move them down, and the third floor became the high school. So the actual high school population was very small. But overall, yeah, they teachers were intentional keeping those lines separate because of the different age groups. And then it became a thing to where we always wore uniform. We wore different uniforms color-based, so like if you was in high school, you were black or white. If you was in middle school, you were purple uh, shirt, purple or black, purple or white. And then when you was in younger, you had to wear green or, green or white, like, you know what I mean? So, so you guys had to wear like uniforms in high school? Yeah, they, yeah, we did have to wear uniforms in high school, yeah. yeah I remember because my elementary school, like I went there for like two years, we had to wear uniforms and it was because I was like, they didn't want us wearing game colors. But we were wearing like gold and black, I'm like, that's a pretty prominent game color, especially if you go to like a, a Latin neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm like, I'm like, let's say you, let's say your child don't want us to look nice, <laughs> or you want to control us, which which I know is about like a lot of education systems is like, it's not about like even teaching black children, it's about like teaching them how to be controlled. That's you know, a like don't talk in the hallway, hold your arms, do this, do that, do that. I'm like. You teach them how to be slaves again. <laughs> That's a big part of the educational system, bro. And I noticed that when I was little, bro, like, there's certain times where they have rules, like, don't talk, like you said, fold your arms, you know what I mean? Um, and then some of the things are just so systematic, and they really don't got any real standing on if you'll do better or not based on the fact that 
you know what I'm saying, you following some of these rules. So, so it is very much so about control. I realized that as a student, which inspired me to become an educator. But even when I became an educator, it was like the the project is to control them and not to teach them. And, and that's what really influenced me and uh, inspired me to go back to school. And I wasn't on it because I always, like, wanted to help and, like, educate and uplift people. Like, I didn't want to just keep them in the room or just make sure they don't yell. Like, you know what I mean? That was lame to me, like. It just, it just made me a habitual rule breaker. <laughs> I don't care what you gonna do. I ain't gonna lie. That's <laughs> that's one thing that I really always is still got a problem with is rule breaking because a lot of rules are really arbitrary, but people accept them as if they're in stone. And like when you really start to gain a greater understanding of the world, society, and how things are socially constructed, then it just make you not want to follow the rules more because shit is fake. Like you know what I mean? So like. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely a rule breaker. A lot of times, I, I got suspended a lot when I was a little kid, but I always got suspended for insubordination, which just means you're not listening. <laughs> that's like, that's like, okay, we want to educate you, but you're not listening. So to get you to listen, we're going to get you out of school. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, well, like, like. To, make, to edu educate you better, we're going to keep you out of school. I'm like, okay. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. Man, they was tripping. <laughs> like, they really was tripping. They just had me at home watching Elmo's World, Arthur. Like, <laughs> oh, like, okay, like that's, that's me, I'll be at home. And I'm like, man, the price is right. It's going to be right for me. Literally, literally <laughs> though, watching daytime television. Like, oh, I remember, I remember, that's why. Oh, that's when Springer was out. Oh, and Springer was filmed in Chicago at the time. Oh, it was, it was great. Yeah. Fights, all the fights. <laughs> like, I remember Springer. Springer was like that was one of the talk shows that really set up the talk show world different. Like you know what I mean? So that definitely was said that I watched. And Mari, I used to watch Mari too when I used to be suspended from school too. You know what I mean? Watching You Are Not the Father. Like you know what I mean? So. Oh, actually, the thing is, you brought that up. I actually know somebody. Well, I don't know. I I know them like do someone else that was on Maury. Dang. And they found out that they were not the father. And they were like almost 30. Dang. So I was like almost 30. That's tough. Yeah. See, at that point, I wouldn't even be able to go in there, bro. Like, we got to just go down to the courthouse. I would like well, to, yeah. I don't like, want to be on TV and the whole world knows that, you know, I don't know who my father is. That's tough. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's right. So, I know, you mentioned, uh, like, at the, at the, 12 years of, you know, being, being all black that I can be. Yeah. All right, did you did you initially transition to Ohio State? Oh, so no. Interestingly enough, though. All right, man. This is crazy. So this is the part I kind of left out. So in twelfth grade, I went there all the way from kindergarten to twelfth grade. But in twelfth grade, I didn't actually physically graduate from uh, from from after century. It was crazy enough, um, it had kind of turned over a new leadership, and what happened is they really started to try to publicize the school even more, like make it more and more public, and then go to an early college format, and then make it more of a, like a tech type of school, and it had this um, educator named uh, Dr. Thompson, and he was just a corrupt educator. I don't even want to get into him, but like he had all types of scandals going on to where he had to leave, because... You know, what I mean, I don't want to get into him. I don't. I, I might need him one day. Do we Google him? Is he is he Googleable? Yeah, he Google. He definitely Googleable. But I don't know if they got his scandals on there. But I know they got like his uh, probably his accomplishments because he was a young doctor. Like he was. Yeah, he was very young. Like he had his doctor, and he was like 29 or something like that. But he was weird. Like you know what I mean? And also he ended up like. To be honest, he ended up uh, holding relationships, sexual relationships with some of the students. I was younger, um, you know what I mean? But we it came to pass that, like, yeah, he ended up having a baby by a student. He ended up having to move to the Philadelphia School District. And I guess he out there now. So, yeah, so 
But basically, this is his whole educational philosophy in the way that he like shifted the school. He uh, all the different mantras and the morning ceremonies and things I told you about in the beginning. He cut those programs. Like we wasn't doing that in the morning or in the evening anymore. Like we we basically became just a basic public school. And my mom was very frustrated with that because she started with this idea in this school. So what ended up happening is I ended up going to my home school. Um, it was called Independence High School. So you go from Afrocentric to Independence. 76 is like funny enough. But it was like a, what people would call, I guess, a hood school because I lived in this neighborhood called East Haven. And um, it was out east and it was just like, it was on some ratchet shit. Like we had like, but it was actually a great school. Like I learned a lot there. Metal detective school. Yeah, it was, I guess, a metal detective school, you know what I mean? But I really enjoyed my time at this school because I had never been a new kid ever, first and foremost, because I went to the same school. And then, um, you know what I mean, just the different types of people I was encountering and the people from all over, I was meeting new people, so it was a good experience, like, you know, so that was pretty cool. And I was, and I was joined the play there. I did my first play when I was there. And then funny enough, though, so it's crazy how I had all of this stability, then I transferred, but then I transferred again. Uh, my, so my sister, she decides that she wants, so she stays when I leave and go to Independence. She don't want to go to Independence. She wants to stay at Percentage because she had already been there. She a junior, not a senior. Then she realizes that she wants to leave too, but, you know, she wants to be able to play sports because when you, like, leave and go to another public school, you can't play sports for over a year. So she goes to this school called Whitehall, Yearling High School, which is a um, suburban school where we live, but she's too. I, I know because when I was undergrad, one of my, one of my friends, she went there. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So Whitehall. Columbus. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. So Whitehall, and then, but she was like too shy to go by herself. So I literally, she transferred at the end of that year, my senior year, and I literally went to school with her for two weeks, just to help her get acclimated. And it's crazy, like two weeks and graduate. Two weeks and graduate from Whitehall. So I didn't even graduate from Independence neither, bro. Crazy enough. And it's crazy because I went to all of they prom, every prom for all the schools, like, and we met. You, you had all the yearbooks. <laughs> yeah, in all of the yearbooks, you feel me? I mean, Whitehall's yearbook the most. The, you know what I'm saying? They took me out of average a year. Book. They was hater. They supposed to have your boy in there because I'm a lifer, but it's cool. <laughs> but nope, take this out. Yeah. And the thing is, Afrocentric started in the summer, so I already took semesters. Like we ended up going to a year-round format, like when I was in tenth grade. So like, um, or no, or ninth, one of the two, ninth grade, because I remember, yeah, that's when it started the year-round format. So like, uh, so I already was in school for like I was already did a semester when I transferred. You know, I'm sorry. So like. Yeah. Half your credit is done already. Yeah, exactly. So it was like that. And I was already taking early college classes. That's how I graduated from uh, college early because I was oh, taking early credits. college schools. I had credit. I had hella credits, but I had almost enough to get a associate's degree, but I just didn't finish it out strong, so I didn't get my associate's degree. But my sister got her associate's degree and her high school diploma at the same time. So that, that next year, so it was pretty cool. Like, so we both was on that same that same kind of path, the same kind of track. But funny enough, so I graduated from Whitehall. But it was funny because I was so social, and the people were curious about new people, especially if you look a certain type. Well, I still had locks back then. I had a different set though; they was a little thicker. And then like, yeah, so like uh, we met a ton of people. They invited me to their senior skip day, and you feel me? And we went to the parties, and my sister had a ton of friends for that next year. So it still was effective, even though it was like weird. I only went there for two weeks. And then from there, so after all that stability, I transferred. So essentially, I transferred four times in one year after that because I go to Clemson University out of school. It's in South Carolina, Clemson, South Carolina. Okay. Like, why'd you go to Clemson? Great question, man. So... All right, so in direct connection to like me, uh, my, my educational journey and me wanting to be a teacher since I was little, um, 
long story short, when I was like in third grade, uh, I wandered off. No, first grade, I wandered off from my class, and this uh, educator named Mama Flowers met me. I mean, she uh, found me, and she taught me, and she held me until they until we found my class, and she taught me how to play chess that day. So all throughout school, I would play chess with Mama Flowers, and I would get to know her. She knew I wanted I wanted to be a teacher like third grade. She knew I wanted to be a teacher. So in about fifth grade, she gave me a paper for this program called Call Me Mister would service like South Carolina, Georgia, and I think one other state, but you had to go to school in that state and stay after and teach there. So I kept that paper from fifth grade until 12th grade, and that was a part of my decision to go to Clemson because it was one of the schools in the Call Me Mr. program. Okay. And that's why I ended up going to Clemson. So what was it like being in South Carolina? Did you, did you have to walk around with your freedom papers? Hey, I might, I should have. I probably had a little better time, but it, it, it it was interesting because um, because of where Clemson is located. So I think that if I went to like SC, like you know, like University of uh, South Carolina, um, it would be a little different because it is the town it's in. It's in Columbia, South Carolina, which has a little bit more of a black yeah. population. Or if I lived in Charleston, it would yeah. be different. But Clemson literally is in Clemson. So like, I mean, it was neighboring towns like um, Anderson and Seneca, where like. Um, there were some black people, but, you know, those were neighboring towns, and, like, it wasn't a lot of black people in Clemson unless you went to the school. And then the way that they recruited black students, most of them was, like, super exceptional. So, like, they was either, like, engineers or mathematicians and shit, or they was athletes. So then for people who, like, fall in the middle, like, I'm, I'm you know, I feel by myself to be intelligent, but, like, I'm not, I wasn't an engineer. You, you weren't in the STEM field. Yeah, I wasn't you're in the STEM not, field. STEM, you're not athlete. STEM people, from what I noticed, they, they stick together because it's difficult and you need as many heads to, the, to try to solve whatever problems you solve in that STEM field. Exactly. And athletes, you know, they always on their own thing. Exactly. So being in between those two things was very salient at Clemson because they had a very small black population, and that's who mostly consisted of, either those two. And if you were somewhere in the middle, you kind of really had to find your place. So, but I had a good time. I, 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 that was like a freshman experience. So, like, I lived in a dorm. I got to meet some good people, some friends that I still got to this day. Like, I got a friend named Robert, a friend named Yao, who, like, I still rock with them, like, from my freshman year. It's 10 years later, like, you know what I mean? So, so yeah, so Clemson still was very informative and interesting experience, you know. Um, but really what I really started to realize was, like, the out-of-state tuition is, I mean, if you don't got yeah, it's not worth it. And then they call me Mr. Program actually getting more information about it, actually getting into it. I realized it only serves elementary students. I want to teach high school. It's only really, really beneficial if you're a South Carolina resident because they only give you a, a certain part of your tuition back. So, like, it was a lot of different stipulations that I didn't know about as a little kid who just kept this paper, you know what I'm saying, coming into it. So I kind of looked back into going back home, you know what I'm saying, and um, just be back in state, really. And... Um, Funny enough, I don't even go directly to Ohio State, like, because uh, I didn't want to come back the next semester and pay, because I paid over 14 racks, you feel me, just for one semester. I paid that, uh, less than that, for a year's tuition at Ohio State, you know what I'm saying, as an in-state student. So, um, in between, I, I know that I'm applying for Ohio State for the fall, but at the same time, I don't want to be out of school. So, in between, I did, like, once, one, like, because they was on quarters back then. I did, like, one quarter out of school back at home. I realized I did not want to be there doing that. You feel me? Very quickly, my mom was running a child daycare, like, a home daycare, like, and out of her house. So, like, I was upstairs, but then they would come so early that she was like, oh, can you go downstairs and get the, you know, and I was an educator, so I had all the papers and stuff. I was good to work with the kids, but I didn't want to. I wanted to just chill and be out of school. So, like, um, 
So then I, uh, with it, I go to University of Cincinnati for a quarter. And then so I transfer to the University of Cincinnati. I do a quarter there. And then by the fall, I get accepted in Ohio State. And I do two years at Ohio State. So I really did, like, two years and then, like, not even a full year of my freshman year, you know, so then I graduated co college, you know what I mean? So, so what was it like at Ohio State? Did you, did you stay on campus or did you just commute? So what I did is I, st I stayed on camp. I didn't stay on campus in the dorm. I stayed on 9th. And campus started at 11, okay. so I stayed very close. Yeah, so I stayed, like, right there where I just walked to class every day. It was super close and convenient. They ripped down the place where I used to live on 9th and High, you know what I mean? Um, but they built, like, a crazy – they just built crazy stuff down there at Ohio State. But Ohio State was a good experience too, man. It was like living in two different worlds because a lot of people who don't know about Columbus, they think – Columbus is Ohio State, or that's all that we have in it. That's what I think. Yeah, but but until I actually did some research, I was just like, oh, this is actually a real city. There, I'm telling you, bro. The craziest part about it is, if you're really from the city, like you have very little no contact with Ohio State. So Ohio State was a new experience, like coming into it. Like, of course, like we still rep Ohio State. That's our like hometown team, but we repping it from afar. Like how if. You feel me? You, like people, everybody in Kentucky rep in either Louisville or or University of Kentucky. But people who like there's people just in the neighborhood in Louisville that they don't go to Louisville. Like you know what I mean? Like they get all stuff from like they'll get it from the campus store. They get it from the local Walmart. Yeah, exactly. That's what that's what we was on, bro. So like so like my relationship with Ohio State was one of like one step away, bro. It wasn't a, a direct relationship how it was when I actually went there. You feel me? And um. So when I go there, I kind of live in two different worlds because I still can go back and visit my family and my real friends, not real friends, because my Ohio State friends was cool. There's my Ohio State friends, but, but I you know you're down from day one. Exactly. <laughs> I still have my day one friends, and now they're close vicinity, so I still live off. But my home is by the campus spot, so I go back to, like, my nana's house or, like, my mom's house when I'm going back to the city and, and rocking with everybody. Yeah, so you didn't have to worry about your dorm food. You was like, man, I need to get some home-cooked meals. Literally, literally. <laughs> and I lived so close. I was making my own food. I was getting home-cooked meals. I was, you feel me, back in the day, we used to have this thing called First Sunday. Our family did where every first Sunday of the month, we would just get together as a collective. I'm telling you, bro, we was really about that, bro. Like, real life, like black culture shit you know what i mean that's what we that's what we on you know so so like indirect relations to ohio state like nah and then the people who go there like that's what i said people who go there they think that that's all they Columbus is, but they just like don't go out of that little bubble of ohio state you know so like it was like no like i don't even know anything about like never been around any of the neighborhoods i lived i lived in several different neighborhoods around the city like you don't know anything about the city you just know about ohio state which is one part of the city it's just like a, a big, it's not even a really a big part, it's a chunk of it because of how much money it generates to the city and also how it makes the city more well known because Ohio State is kind of like a cornerstone part of Columbus, but Columbus really has a whole different section. It's got a business section, like to where like people like Lex Westner and the limited brands and you know, Lex Westner is a controversial figure, especially with all the shit he got going on, but he has put a lot of, he's a billionaire from that area. And he's put a lot of money into it. And so it has a whole business. He's like, Wendy's is from Columbus. You know, it's a pizza place that's popular around Ohio called Donato's is from Columbus. Um, White Castles is from Columbus. So it's like a big text market. just really destroying the weight of this. Yeah, yeah. Like, so, but it's a big food text market. You feel me? And it's real businessy in that way. Like, so. And that's a part of it. And then it's actually like the city that where we come from or the people who you never hear about or never know about or the shit we got going on, it don't get publicized like with Ohio State or nothing like that. But So what is like Ohio State's relationship with like the community? Um, that's a great question. I would say the Ohio State kind of operate 
intercommunal. Like it does have a little bit of a relationship with the greater uh, Columbus community, but not necessarily, definitely not the black community. But they do kind of do initiatives within the city, kind of like even IU. It does initiatives with the city of Bloomington, but who are they reaching? Then are the, how specific and intentional are they being in these initiatives that they target in the community? And who is that these community initiatives even servicing? And that's the questions that we got to ask when we talk about relationships, university, and community. So, like, so I would say it's, it's really like a little to, well, I won't say little to know. Cause you know I might need a job at OSU. Don't hate me, OSU. I still rock with y'all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still down. Yes, you know, yeah, off of that tenure track. Literally, <laughs> literally. But like, cause, I, cause I had a great experience at Ohio State too. The Black Culture Center, man, it was. Because I hear about, you know, because I was like, it was between. I was deciding like which to apply for. Cause it's like the last days. Like, should I apply to IU or OSU? I'm like, I'm gonna apply to IU. But it was, it wasn't. It was just arbitrary. Cause you know, I, I looked at both programs. They're both programs, were, you know, good. But. So what, what was what was it like at the Black Culture Center? Cause I know it's a guy I talked to. He he went to OSU, but he's like he's like my age, so he's like you probably don't know him. But he said he used to go there and he used to have people come there, like a Phoenix Shakur would come there, like a lot of people like the activists and stuff. Yeah, what was it like like that's. To, I mean, I haven't been to every black culture center in the world, but, you know, I had experiences at Clemson where we had, like, no black culture center. We just had a, kind of a black student union. Um, so University of Cincinnati has a pretty good black culture center. Because um, I went to so many schools, I got a feel yeah, for the black culture center. Yeah, so, and then at IU, they're just decent. They claim that they're just the biggest in the nation, but the, then it, that's a whole other story. Then it comes to question of who, how are you splitting these spaces, how are you quantifying the biggest in the nation. But I can honestly argue that of the, the, of the centers that I've seen, because I've also seen, like, Wright State's Black Cultural Center, um, Ohio State is definitely the best in usage in the way that they service and uh, work with the students in the community. Like, it was, like, so enriching. Like, we know, like, every day of the week, not every day, a lot of days of the week, you know, you could come there and find home. You know, then there was great programming. And then even when they moved the building, because they fought, you know, they uh, had protests to get this specific building. And then they wanted to tear it down and move it across the street to a larger building, but then it will be housed with um, another diversity, like a so like group. Let's put all the color people together. Kind of deal. So, but it was still like so. A lot of people who fought for that in the '60s, they was opposed to that, but then they ended up kind of coming to terms with it because it was something that the university was going to do no matter what. But um, but I would really say that like. The Black Culture Center at Ohio State is like it's really a foundational place that they really, really help students and they really build a community. And then on top of that, we got the Multicultural Center, which is inside the Union, and you don't even feel out of place at the Multicultural Center. You feel together with people of other cultures, and I could say that was different than at other schools because we got like we had like an MCC at University of Dayton, but we didn't have no Black Culture Center. We had a Multicultural Center, but. At the multicultural center, you could feel the separation between the Asian students, between the Hispanic students, between the black students. Like we had that at uh, Marquette. The thing is, like the, the MCC was like extra small, so you had to like at the beginning of the year, like the book space to have. If you want to have a black student council meeting, you had to go there early, or you had to know somebody who worked there. Cause like I remember one year, uh, like the person was like. The student worker there was part of the, the uh, Palestinian organization, so she she was already there. So she booked the room like on all the days we wanted to have it. Yeah. So it, it, it wasn't until like I started working there, and I was just like, okay, we got this day, this day, this day, this day, this day, and then I started taking. I was just like, man, I, I feel kind of offended that they they giving us all this uh all the colored people on this campus in one space. So we just started booking it like. We was like, we gonna make this set this place in this building, the Black Cultural Center. So we just ended up doing that. But still, I see how it is. But 
you also want your own space. It's just like just because we not white don't mean we like the best of friends, you know? Yeah. Or like we or we have like same experience. Not even like we like antagonistic. It's just like, you know, our cultures are different. Yeah, <laughs> big big difference. And then sometimes they do be antagonistic, yeah, and then it makes it even harder. You know what like I mean? You so. gotta be in this space of like, man, we beefing with them. Like, you, you think that's because we ain't white? We gonna be friends? Yeah, and it's tough. <laughs> and that that whole uh, people of color, persons of color issue and topic is an interesting thing within itself because it's just a grouping of othering. It's a othering. Yeah. It's a grouping of othering, which is like. But it's, it's kind of. I, I see why they do it because it's kind of hard. You want to say not nah, white, but you don't want to put. You don't want whiteness to become the standard. But then it's also like people use like that term like people of color, women of color. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm really talking about black people right now, man. I'm, I'm being intentional with that. Man. Yeah, that's why I just say black because I don't know when I use the term people of color, I ain't gonna lie, that shit remind me of colored people. Like, why? What's the difference? Like, just just do up in the middle. Like, yeah, like I don't know. I tell you like, when I want to be like when I'm trying to just you know group of people or or I just like I just say all the people I'm talking about. I'm like I'm talking about. Asian, Latin American, black people. Mm-hmm. You know, occasionally we'll add other people as needed. <laughs> yeah, literally. But, you know, because um, it's just like I don't like. I don't, I don't know. It seems like it seems like a very you know white liberal thing to do. Like, yeah. what can we do not to offend them? Oh, what's, what are they going by now? They, is it, is it Afro American? Oh, don't say that. It's it's African. Oh God. Oh God. We have another meeting. <laughs> Who's gonna get another meeting? So it's like <laughs> you ain't lying though, bro. It's really tough though. So yeah, so okay. crazy. But that was good though, having our own space though at the Black Culture Center. So Ohio State was definitely a great and informative experience. I learned a lot there and made some good connections. And it was really crazy because I had to leave and come back to really realize the power of that space because, like I said, it wasn't really connected with the community. Like we liked it as like we rep our hometown team, but like we liked the sports. We didn't like it. Was, even when I went there, it wasn't a lot of people that I knew from the city who went there too. Like, or it wasn't nobody I went to school, like, after, it was one dude who I went to Afrocentric with, like, he was, like, four or five years older than me, he was still there when I was there, like, you know what I'm saying, so, like, he was, like, one of the only people I knew, you know what I'm saying, that, like, from school, like, and even I knew people from around the city, because I was from the city, so it was, like, they ain't go there, it was people from Cleveland, people from Cincinnati, people from Dayton, people from out of state, you feel me, just, and that's where the black people was coming from, they wasn't coming from the Columbus community, for for the most part, it was, uh, we was, we was the minority, you feel me, as far as, like, people who was coming there, like, from even from Ohio, it wasn't really sourced from Columbus. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about like you started teaching, like you like you young, and now you now you out there teaching. What was that like? And you teaching at Dayton? Yeah, it was crazy. So I taught Dayton. I ended up teaching Dayton. My second year teaching, I started off teaching fifth and sixth grade in Columbus, Ohio, at this uh, small Christian school called Gloria S. Friend Christian Academy, and it was like a, it was actually a private school, but it was mostly populated with black students. It was connected to a church because most uh, church schools are actually private schools, like the Catholic schools that people know about. Those are usually private schools, so um, a lot of students was on Ed Choice because it still was mostly black kids. Um, I taught a fifth and sixth grade classroom. I taught them everything because that's like it was a traditional. Like elementary school, I had like about 15 kids in my class. Okay, we're going to do 30 minutes of math, 30 minutes of reading. Yeah. I got to give you two, two hours of uh, punishment. And then <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They had to teach them theology, too. And some of the kids was really Bible thumpers, too. So I had to be on the theology heavy, you feel me? Like Genesis, we had it. You know what I mean? Whatever the case may be, whatever we was learning that day, try to teach it most accurately, but then also most openly to allow students to be able to, like, come to their own terms of theology, but also they are at a Christian school, so it's still aligned with the school's philosophies and doctrine and stuff. Yeah, so it's like half indoctrination, half like 
philosophy of religion. Yeah, so yeah, exactly. So that was kind of how it went. And then, like, of course, the basic maths and different things. But that, that experience was so interesting because I was so young. I was only 21, and I just looked super young that, like, a lot of – some of the parents really protested to, like, my hire at first. It was crazy to where it was like, bro, what is this kid? <laughs> yeah, they was like, what is this kid going to teach us? Like, our kids, like, they really was calling me a kid, like, treating me a certain type of way. They didn't do it to my face, though. Uh, I thought they was like they did. They did it around me. A father come up in his room. Yeah, like, look at little Raheem right here. Man. He ain't ready for this. Oh no, they ain't do me like that. But they would make their little comments to my face. But they did it to the principal. Like when I was there, like you know what I mean. So I seen it. But crazy enough, by the end of the year, during the graduation, when I gave my speech, like most of those same people was crying. Like you no, know, on God, like I can't even make it up. It was crazy, and that really was a informative experience to show how much you can touch and impact and change people's ideas by just showing them who you are. Because people always gonna have ideas about who you are before they ever get a chance to even really realize it. So yeah. that was it. I think that's like that's a human thing. They are, we always gonna have a little biases, unconscious bias, some conscious. Mm -hmm. You know, and then you just gotta you gotta be in there yourself to be like, okay, I gotta step back and let, you know, let them prove themselves like it. Everybody prove themselves. You know, in a true equitable society, but we don't get there. <laughs> Yeah, definitely, bro. Okay, so how'd you leave? Oh, so, 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 uh, so I, after uh, being at GSFCA, um, I, like, my sister came down. My sister not even educated. That's why it's crazy. Like, she just was just, like, thinking about the job market. She is working in public health, working for a, non, a nonprofit. And she had heard about this um, educational fair that just had, like, all the big eight schools um, from, like, around Ohio. So, like, it was, like, Canton, like, Akron, um, like, Cleveland. Uh, Cincinnati, Dayton, Columbus, uh, so on and so forth. And basically, um, we just she was like, you want to go to that job fair? It, and it was in Columbus, and I just went to the job fair, not even thinking too much of it. I met the uh, head of HR at, at University, uh, not University of Dayton, just Dayton Public Schools, and um, she liked me, you know what I mean? So and we talked to her, and she literally said, like, if I offer you a position, she said, will you come to Dayton and teach in Dayton? And I said yes, and it was solidified like that. So I got hired into the school system first, and then basically then I interviewed with different schools. And the first school that interviewed me, they wanted me. It was called Dunbar High School. It was like one of the historic black high schools. It was named after Paul Lawrence Dunbar. Yeah, and it was like when back when they was segregated, it was one of the only schools that black people could go to. So they got a lineage all the way from the early 20th century. Like, like they got like class of like 1916 on the wall. Like, so that was the next place, my next location. So. I was teaching 11th grade American literature, but I uh, taught a lot of seniors too. So 11th and 12th graders, and I would teach uh, women's studies as an elective. And um, it was just an informative experience. And also, I was still only 22 during that time. So it was like, it was like you just learning and growing, and then you're so close in age. This was this became an issue. The the, cl the closeness and look and age became a thing with them because um, I had to really I didn't. Oh, try to overassert myself in my age or even lie about my age like a lot of teachers instructed me to do or wanted me to do because I only could be myself and I was already seasoned one year so I didn't feel new you know what I'm saying so I just let them know who I was and my approach was kind of more of an organic grassroots approach but I just told them everything I was everything I came from some of the contents of this even what we was talking about today and just seeing like the struggle I came from to make it here as a young man Mm -hmm. And that's where I got my respect and my leverage with the students. And then I was able to compound that because I was teaching literature by, I had them do daily writing prompts. And I always took the time to, like, read them and write back. And then with those personal conversations and those writing prompts is really what got them to connect to me very easily. And that's how I got my standing at the high school, even though they thought I was a kid. Yeah, so. Look a little Raheem, man. Raheem got a job. Man.
right, so what, what made you uh, go back to school? You uh, went to Dayton, University of Dayton. So yeah, I ended up going to University of Dayton, but what I realized though at the teaching level is that like, even though I had done so much and wanted, that was always my goal to get there, I realized that that wasn't really my goal. My goal was to change people's minds or like, like to, uh, I guess not change them, but to like help form the minds of black youth and the youth of America and try to get to be America to be a better society through education and not a necessary systematic education, but through learning about each other and learning about different things that interest us as groups. Like, you know what I'm saying? So like, I realized to do that, I had to take that next step and take it past just being, um, my bad friend at the table too. That's fine. Yeah, yeah, but so take it past. I know the edit audio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah, but just really just taking it past um, that base level of being a part of that system because really when you are a teacher you still just subject to like whatever the principal says and then whatever the superintendent and the school system says so it made me really want to like help to establish an educational institution and that's what started my new journey not my new journey it's the same journey well, but it continued, on it. it continued on exactly so i ended up um applying for university of dayton i did my first year in residence life that was crazy I, oh, I, I, what was that like man, man residence life ain't for me man they want you on call 24 hours and it's just like you working with a demographic of people who don't understand you and then you get stuck in house with them and then they really want all of your time beyond just like a job oh, man, i would hate that I know. <laughs> it's really a housing job. You housed into that job, boy. Like, and uh, and then the pay was trash, like, because they figured that they offset it by giving you a place to live and giving you swipes. Like, you got food? You got yeah. housing? Yeah. What, what would you want? A salary? Tell me, man. What? You ungrateful. <laughs> Literally, they you, Brad. They gave you that Denzel training day speech. You disloyal. <laughs> Literally, bro. That's how they feel. You complain anything about your experience when you're in housing, bro. That whole year I only made five racks. Like, I made more than that in high school just painting. You feel me? Like, that's 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 pretty... Yeah, he gave me some dice. So I get that in a couple of weeks, man. Are you telling me, man? It was it was rough, bro. And this is after going and getting a salary job, having a Camaro to pay for it, bro. Having to figure out how I was military, going. Man. Like, yeah, that's the thing. I'm hit, bro. <laughs> they get married. They get married in like two weeks. Yeah, get those spouts. Like military people or uh, LGBT women. <laughs> <laughs> you crazy, man. You crazy, man. So I'm like, you know, yeah, man. You hear two women get together, and then two weeks later, they they moving in together. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, like it's the relationship, though. Like crazy, though. But like, that's funny, though, because that is how it be. Like, only time I would see other people with with a kind of car or kind of like, I, I mean, it's a nice car, but like that kind of car, they be either military person or they be like in drug life. You feel me? Like it wasn't no teacher head ass just pulling up like, in the Camaro, like like that old school in Yeah, like, we know what you want. You driving that? Yeah, literally, bro. I'm telling you, funny, bro. That's funny though, but yeah. So literally though, but I saw I still had like life that I had already kind of accumulated and responsibilities that was like salary salary responsibilities, and, and that led to me having salary responsibilities on like little to no money, bro. So I had to go back to hustling, like, cause I already spent my whole life hustling. I left that part of my whole story, but like. Ever since I was little, bro, I was trying to make monies, bro. Like, so, like, on the bus, bro, me and my sister used to sell candy with my sister. Like I said, she was always shy, bro. So, like, I'm really working my hands selling candy to this whole population of school. Like, my mom used to take us to GFS. Back then, they was give, like they had the whole packs for oh, the low. Yeah, Literally, bro. Sell like you sell loose squares or something. I'm telling you, bro, and I was moving them, bro. I was making making my tools and views off that and that transitioned to like 
me being able to like hone my art talents and then hustling my art. So that became my main hustle. Like by the time I was about 15, 16, I ended up working at the mall when I was 16, uh, like airbrushing. And I like was in the window front. So I worked my hand doing that for some time too. So what got you, what got you in the art? Cause I know you like you really intense in the art. Yeah, I am intense in the art, and it took time because really, like when I was younger, I thought I was gonna rap. Like I still like my, you know, spoken yeah, word. Every black man has a sixteen box. Telling you, bro. <laughs> telling you, thought I was gonna rap, and I thought I was gonna hoop, just like every black man. You feel me? But my talents was really in art. My mom saw that early. My nana saw that early. Um, a story I like to tell to like quantify it. Like when I was like four years old, four or five, I literally drew this picture of Scooby Doo, like, and it was so accurate that my nana framed it, and that's kind of when they started to know, like, this dude, like, this is fucking yeah, yeah. But I was fighting it, bro. I was running from it, bro. I had never got no formal training. I wasn't trying to go art in school in art class, bro. I was hollering at the girls, bro, hanging out. Last minute before the assignment, dude, throw it together, get an A, you know what I mean? So I was on that with it, bro. So like, I never really was into it until I was like, was about. 14, 15, I was doing more cartooning and illustrating. I would just be drawing different characters. And then it transitioned to me, like, buying a... I had got the blow pen set first. And then I'm like, oh, I wanted to make art on T-shirts. So I was like... Or, like, I wanted to wear my art, I should say. So I was doing that between the blow pens. And then, like, the little sticky uh, glue-like art that you could draw out on the uh, fabric... That type of fabric art. I was doing those two things. And then... I stepped it up and I got like a, a airbrush kit for like a model toy car with run off a can, like just a can of air, which was very expensive. Like, and I started to learn that way. And then when I started to kind of get okay, I knew about the airbrush place in the mall. They used to have lessons back when I was younger, but they didn't have them no more by the time my, my mom tried to take me up there. So when they, what I did is I just bought in a portfolio of stuff I had done. And then, then my mom asked, I just kick it there and just learn from watching. And they let me. And then one time the dude didn't come. Like, one time the dude didn't come to work, he was sick or something, and it was a ton of orders, and then the owner literally walked up to me, like, you think you could do this? And I'm like, I know I could do this. And then after the people seen what they got that day, they was happy of it. You know, they everybody was happy with what I did on their shirts and their clothing, and then they hired me from that day forward. So I did that until I graduated and went to Clemson. Okay, man. All right, okay, let's go for it. Like, you, you were dating. Like, what, what was it like being at the University of Dayton? Like, outside of the residence hall thing. Oh man! So then the next year after the residence hall, I taught. Uh, I was a standalone instructor, instructor of record for English 200 class. That was very informative and an interesting and amazing experience. Um, interesting about Dayton, I lived two different lifestyles in Dayton too. Because before I lived the lifestyle of somebody who wasn't from there, who was a professional and who really didn't have a lot of peers. A lot of the teachers there was 50. You know what I'm saying? 40. They was that married. You know what I'm saying? So we ain't giving up this job. It's too good. Yeah, young they was kicking. <laughs> they was kicking it, man. They, and they was cool. They showed me respect and love, but they was like, they was my peers, but they weren't necessarily always my friends. Like they was my colleagues. Some of them would invite me over for like the Sunday dinner or the fight if they or the Super Bowl. And all of those times was really good and cool. But I was still like 22. I wanted to like hang out on Saturdays and stuff like that. And I didn't have that there, but I was able to gain that type of community at UD. But it's funny, they literally, they call it, at the UD, they literally call it the UD bubble. Like, so I lived inside the UD bubble, and I would come back and kind of get back to the community. But, like, it was harder because I was still trying to, like, balance the, like, graduate school life. <coughs> so that was interesting. And then... So I had to hustle, so I had to pick up a second job. I ended up working at this local middle school called Decker Middle School part-time when I was teaching English 200, which was really was against the rules, so I was trying to hide the fact that I was working another teaching job, trying to work that teaching job, and then around that time was when my best friend got murdered, so then that was dealing with the emotional weight of that. So Dayton was a really hard time for me because I really monitored. People didn't really get monetarily that I really didn't have money, like, 
because like I had already had all these responsibilities that I was paying into, but the actual money I was getting from my university like job just wasn't enough. So I had to like make ends meet in like a lot of different type of ways, bro. Like I just went back to like I said hustling, bro, and I was able to get out of it. But like for example, like when I actually finally graduated that summer to where I did wasn't on the university job anymore at all. That summer in between coming here and there, like. I exhausted all my resources, bro. I went back to Columbus, bro, and I just worked my hand, bro, to make enough money to be able to pay for uh, deposit and then rent to even get here, bro. And then uh, you and then the um, the U-Haul truck. So I, I like I literally had enough money just to do that. And then like I was broke when I got here, like it was crazy. And then crazy enough, I put my stuff in storage in day in so that I wouldn't have to pay for my apartment no more and i moved back to columbus but i didn't want to like spend the money to move so i had it in the storage unit and when i got out the storage unit half that shit was ruined bro so i came here with like, well, like, how was it, like a, it water damage water it was a, it was one of the ones that wasn't um uh, one that it wasn't um the, it wasn't the inside it, kind, it was the kind that was inside facility but it was like a big like warehouse thing like yeah yeah, yeah. So yeah. yeah. Exactly, so it was water damage, bro, room, my bed, room, my TV, bro, a lot of important shit, bro, so I, like, had to start from scratch when I was here, bro, I started charging birds, and I got into that game, hustling, you feel me, yeah, and all types I, of shit. I mean, so, like, like, you had to, like, like, that thing is a scale, you work for them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, when I came here, uh, no, because I came off, like, I had a different thing, when I worked, where I would get my master's, I was actually an employee of the university, so I had, like, a salary. And also, like, paid off my tuition, so I had, I was making good money. So I got here. This, I got here. This one, I got poor. I got so you. I took a big, big pay cut. That's a real experience, bro. Trust me, I know. You yeah, know, I trust you. Because I'm, I'm used to, I'm, you have a certain lifestyle that you lead. I was like, man, I'm, I'm like a bum now. It's like, life. These, these, these haircuts ain't. They ain't never got the week like that. Used to be. <laughs> Telling you, bro. And you we, you ain't spending $15 at Noodles and Company for lunch no more, bro. Like, I'm packing PB&J now. Like. You, like, you, like, you look at your bar tab. You're like, man, I got that. And then now you're like, you looking at it. Man, no, I did not order this. Who the hell ordered this? Literally, bro. <laughs> you count out the drinks that you could drink, bro. I got $15. I'm going to give him $3 tip. You know what I mean? He count it out early. Like, like man, this, yeah. this ain't 20 but it's close enough. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. All right, so what, what what made you choose IU? That was my last question. Okay, yeah. So that was an uh, interesting decision, and um, that was a thing within itself. Uh, so coming into it, I applied to four schools uh, for my doctoral program. I got in a three out of four, uh, and the main two that I was really choosing between was Howard and here, which would be two totally different cultural experiences. Um, you might have heard me talk a little bit about yeah. it, but it was just totally like, and I knew just being a young artist of 26 years of age, going to DC and going to Howard would have been a very enriching experience that would have set me up in a way that would have really put me artistically exactly where I needed to be by the time I got out around 30-ish, you know what I'm saying? But here, um, I knew that the monetary benefits of living in Indiana and having that uh, type of cost of living, and also like um, when I got here, I was afforded a, a fellowship as opposed to like a as opposed to assistantship only for my first year, which was another advantage as opposed to having a straight through assistantship, um, getting healthcare. So overall, the, I ain't gonna lie, the resources that IU was able to afford to me, and then the dual master's program was enticing. I'm dual PhD, excuse me, program was enticing, and I was fortunately able to take advantage of that as well. So, like, um, I would really say that it was really kind of based on resources. Like, and I knew where I, I just told you kind of where I was at in between transitioning. So I knew that I needed to 
be able to like stack as much as I could in this experience, uh, whether it be mentally, monetarily, you know what I'm saying, uh, physically. Like I knew that I would get that living in Indiana because I knew that like the cost of living and it just wouldn't be as much social things to get distracted by, yeah, and that's yeah. what kind of caused me to come here. Yeah, yeah, I'm saying I'm part of like the group me like black and Bloomington. I was like, man. There, there's a dearth of things to do, man. I know, like, they try to pump it up, man, but, like, it doesn't mean it, man. It's, it's a dearth. <laughs> it's not, especially where I'm coming from. I'm coming from the black metropolis. I'm coming from Chicago. Yeah. And coming here. Yeah. And I stayed in Milwaukee, and I stayed in D.C. and come to Bloomington. So, yeah, so it's tough. It's tough, bro. I'm a big city person, man. I'm, I am an urbanite. Nah, I definitely get it, bro. I, me too, bro. I am too, bro. Like, that's why I felt. I felt that little when I went to Clemson, though. So I already had that little uh, culture shock. I'm like, oh, it's a small town. Like, you feel me? And it was a different kind of small town in Bloomington. Like, it, it wasn't even a town to it. It was like, this school is the town. Like, you know what I mean? So so that was that was different. So, like, I know exactly what you mean, bro. I'm an urbanite too, bro. Like, and I'm a Midwest person too. I like the East Coast too, but like, like I, you feel me? I mess with Cincinnati, I mess with Chicago, I mess with Columbus, or you know, even Dayton on a smaller scale. Like, Bloomington, is a, a different place. It's it is. Well, all right. So, so, future. What you got? What you got planned for the future? Anything you wanna talk about that's going in the future? Yeah. Shoot, right now, bro, I'm just marinating. Yeah, marinating, bro, matriculating. You feel me? So, like, um, in the future, I hope to expand my art to be uh, making it to even more of a business. Right now, it's less of a business and more of a um, a passion project. So, I, I do like. Um, I do sell my art, of course, uh, and then I also get commissioned to do several different things. So, like, the I guess the coolest and most recent project I've been commissioned for is from IU School of Nursing, and uh, they commissioned me to do a milestone mural project. So I'm supposed to be doing a mural of various different milestone people uh, from the university. So, for example, the black, the first black uh, African American woman to graduate, the first Hispanic young man to graduate, okay. et cetera, and so on. So, okay. this is dope. This is dope. all right, so. You know, anything you want to talk about? Like, this is where I let my guests just talk about anything. Just want to ask me any questions or whatever. Um, I would say, uh, describe your experience here a little bit and how you, you feel me, how you uh, contend with being here and how you, like, kind of, like, use this experience going forward, like, I guess. Yeah, I guess, uh, you know, actually, I I like the experience. It's it's pretty decent. I haven't gotten any, any trouble in Indiana, so I guess that's a good thing. Uh, only, th- only, only bad thing happened wasn't really Indiana's fault. I just got sick. <laughs> it was my body's fault. But I can say the uh, their health system is better than I thought it would be. They, everybody treated me well doing my surgeries, and just like being on campus, everyone's. I know, like I know when I talk to like younger students, like undergrads, they say like people aren't friendly. But I'm like, I don't want anybody to talk to me in the first place. I would rather they get out of my way. That's why I wear my turban sometimes. I call it my white boy repellent. I Just leave me alone and stay out of my way. Respect my authority. You know, I restore the feeling. I pay. And, and I guess because, like, you know, I'm older, and so I've experienced, like, all of that quarter life crisis, all that other stuff. Mm-hmm. And, like, I've, I've lived a good life. Like, I'm, I'm content. I'm ready to, you know, settle down. I'm in a very committed relationship, even though she still, she lives in Chicago, so mm-hmm. I had to, had to put miles on my car more than I'd like to, yeah. <laughs> but, um, other it than ain't that, too bad of a drive though, yeah, it's not, it's like, 
It's, it's supposed to be a three-hour drive, but my left foot is two and a half. <laughs> Sixty-five, <laughs> straight shot. I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. <laughs> and and um, just uh, department's been fine. You know, I wish we had more staff, more more family. Me so too. we have like more diverse like courses because I love to hear like more classes on like the Caribbean. I think that would be, that would be something that. Would, really expand like what we're doing here i agree you know i agree like, and, and that's like uh, like a public policy type thing because that would expand it too because you know blacks have been engaged in politics since we got the right to vote in some areas and expanded in the 60s so we've always been a political people so that would be nice but other than that you know it's pretty good and i'm just on, I'm just on the ground I'm, and i look for any type of money that's available i apply for it, that's why I love that those when I get an email about fellowship, I look for I'm like, okay, what stage you gotta be in to apply for this? And it'd be some I'd be mad. I'd be like, I know I can get it, but you gotta like you gotta be like that candidate. That candidate, yeah, I'm, I'm already here. Like, you like, you motherfucker. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit away. I'm, I'm like and then you'd be like you wonder like, is this the only time they gonna have it available? So when I reach that stage, it's not gonna be there. So I can apply then. So, you know, it's always in the back of your mind, but Nah, I feel you 100%, bro. I be thinking the same thing, bro. Yeah, that's what, so that's what, you know, I'm just, just trying to trying to finish out mm -hmm. classwork and, uh, you know, and well, I, I would say this to anybody who's, like, researching or interested in, like, any books that you read that's on your subject, email the author. Because I emailed the author on one of my books, and he, like, he took me out to lunch, and he told me, you know, whatever I need, he's going to willing to help me. So... And I was, I was just like, wow, that's like, that was just out of the blue. I just emailed him. I was just like, I like this book. It helped me. It was a book I used when I was writing my master's thesis. So I was just like, okay, let me see if he'll talk to me. And there you go. So I always try to connect with people because a lot of these guys write these books. They know nobody buys them, especially when you're an academic and you're not a... Uh, you're not famous, you're not like the Cornell West or mm -hmm. Michael Eric Dyson types. You're not here, you're not gonna be on the, or you're not like a, you write something that's really salient at the times, you don't write the new Jim Crow. Mm -hmm. Your book not gonna be on no anybody bestseller list. Like so it. the authors wanna talk about their stuff, so just email them. But, that's good know. advice, bro, I appreciate it. I'm definitely yeah. gonna do it. Yeah, and it's just, you know, I'm just, I'm just good, I'm content, you know. I just try to, Look out for money, look out for opportunities, and plan out and plan out my uh, my next thing. So I try to like I follow this professor on Twitter, and like he's at uh, UNLV, and he was like asking for grad students to like be like uh, book reviewers. So I just uh, I sent him a message. I'm like, yeah, you know whatever you want to do, because I I never know if I need that contact. And the fact that you know you know once I get these these letters next to my name. I want to be working in a warm climate. <laughs> Sometimes it's cold. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, just try to get as many contacts as possible. And, you know, but it's been pretty good the first couple of years. So we'll see how it goes. These next, I don't know how many. I'm trying to make it shorter than longer. <laughs> but that's, that's what I've been up to. That's, that's how I feel about it. It's a, it's a good experience. It's still, still hard. You still got to, like, do the work. But, you know, I like it. All right. That's what's up. Definitely, I agree with that, bro. The learning experience. So, anything else you want to talk about? Because I got like, it's three questions that I always end off with. Nah, I ain't got too much else I want to talk about. Plus, I got class at four o'clock. Ah, yeah. So let me, let me get you out of here. Um, okay, let me say the uh, 
last book you read, last movie or film you watched, and last song you listened to? Okay, so the last book I read is actually Kindred by Octavia Butler. Okay. Uh, I'm actually reading this for the class I'm going to. It's a super interesting book. I had read it a long time ago when I was younger, but I didn't, it didn't uh, resonate the same way. So, like, knowing it, uh, reading it for genre purposes, and then also reading it for, uh, from a perspective of craft was very informative. Um, the last film I watched, um, it might have been Queen and Slim. I, I, I was going to ask you about that. I didn't know if you watched it or not. What you think about, like, it taking place in, like, Ohio and, like, the, like, cop getting shot in Ohio? You, I thought you, you felt you feel kind of some kind of way. you like, man, this is, this is like, this is accurate. I thought that was, I thought it was an interesting, interesting take. And I thought that, like, uh, even, like, the way that they built the characters was interesting. And I thought that, I thought that was cool because, like, for example, like, Slim, he got it like a real southern churchy feel, and it's like that's like that in Ohio. Like a lot of things, a lot of places in the Midwest, we have a southern like swag, I guess, or whatever people feel. But it's not really even southern; it's more like a country thing. Or like it's, our people came from the south, like my yeah. people from Georgia. Like so, like it's like a it's a representation that we don't see a lot when we think about Ohio or the Midwest. We be thinking of like white people from those places. Yeah. So people be grouping it together with like cows and like rural farmland America. rural america and it's really not like that but it's, it's more but it's not like new york neither it's actually probably more like living like in atlanta or like tennessee is yeah. a good one because i spent some time in nashville like that type of thing because like really in certain parts of ohio like cincinnati like you live next to kentucky like they like literally are a bridge apart like stuff stuff like that so um so I thought that was pretty cool that they had it set there i was kind of frustrated with some of the different writing in the, in the film yeah, uh because it was the queen character. I'm like, I don't know if she's a bad actress, but they just gave her bad lines. Cause I'm like, real people don't talk like that <laughs> at all. And the character development on her was very stellar, stiff. It made her. Uh, she was. Um, uh, don't kill me for this. You feel me? But she was very unlikable character, and it was the way that she was written. It wasn't because she was just a strong black woman. And, but they did kind of give her a little bit of depth when they showed why she was so angry at her uncle yeah. and what happened to her mother. But they could have gave that hint to that early on and gave her character more depth because even though those things happen to you and you may be closed off there's going to be a certain level of humanity that you get from having those experiences and i don't think that her character really got that or they wrote it into her character her character was kind of flat you know what i mean slim was a little bit flat too but he had he was built with his his character had built in complexity from the type of person he was and i think that that was a big difference in the way that they wrote the two characters so i had a problem with that i did like the, the use of color uh the visuals were very beautiful um, and then I don't necessarily like the, the how the way the plot matriculated. It was kind of like, where do we go from here type of shit. Like, you know, so. Yeah. Alright, so, uh, last song you listened to? Oh, last song I listened to, uh, if I'm being honest, it was this, this Brent, uh, I think his last name was Faison, 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 Brent Faison. Okay. Uh, he a singer, but I just started listening to his album called Fuck the World. So, that's what actually I listened to in the car on the way over. So, I like that, but if I want to, like, what I really want to say just for um for uh, like podcast purposes is uh, my friends like my dude Keys his name Cassius Keys he just dropped a, a new uh, project last night and I was actually listening to that all night so if I didn't listen to try to listen to the Brent uh, uh joint then I would have definitely said Keys because Keys the new project is called um it's called Rookie Year and basically like he's just a dope rapper from Columbus and like he's just trying to get off the ground and a lot of people. Hey, what can we, what can we get at? 
Like what can you hear? Oh, it's on Apple Music right Apple now. Music, and then, uh, but that's an unofficial drop. So, like, tomorrow, because I just talked to him today because I was telling him how much I liked it. And he was saying tomorrow it's going to be on all streaming platforms. So, you can get it on Spotify. You can get it on um, wherever you get your music from tomorrow. But today, they just pre released it, I guess, on Apple Music. So, that's how I heard it. So, this is, uh, his name is Cassius Keys. Like, Cassius Clay. Yeah, okay, yeah. Cassius Keys, and the title of the project is. Uh, rookie Year. Rookie Year. Cassius Keys, Rookie Year. Yeah. On all your platforms. Include Spotify, which you can hear this podcast on. Yeah, right. So, thank you, Raheem. I hope to uh, have you join me again. We can talk about all this stuff. Like, I know, I'll just do a talk, and we just talk about music. Like, if I, yeah. We got, like, we got a few years between us, but I think we got the kind of like the same type of pattern. Because I remember we was listening, we talked about like freeway and camera. Talk about the hip hop. Mm-hmm. Right, but, but thank you again for coming in. Uh, have you again. We'll have you again. And for all my listeners, you can catch something for the people on One Word, on SoundCloud, Spotify, uh, Apple Music, and fuck iHeartRadio because they still haven't accepted this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Until they do, it's fucked up. But as always, be good and drink your water. Peace. Peace. Fuck the world, I'ma walk in direction Spit without a thought, we do it reckless Your nigga call us texting You say, baby, don't be mad, you know how bright it is Turn up in your mouth, you ain't speaking good